The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. So, I have a bit of a strange question for you today. I'm just wondering, are you more like your mother, or do you look and behave more like your father? Or are you a totally different person from both of your birth parents? Now, I may not have met each of you in person, but one thing I know for sure about every single listener today, and that's that none of you are clones of either of your parents. So you'll have some genes from your mom and some genes from your dad, and you'll be a genetically unique individual. Now, plants are similar to humans in this way. So let's say you eat a Granny Smith apple and you save the seeds. If you plant those seeds... Will the new trees produce Granny Smith apples? The answer is no. Each of the seeds in that one Granny Smith apple will be genetically unique and will produce a tree that's very different than each of its parent trees. So the offspring trees will each produce a unique tasting fruit. Now the question is, will the fruit from those offspring seedling trees taste good? Probably not when you're thinking of apples grown from seed. That's because apple trees, like humans, have incredible genetic diversity. So if you want to ensure that your apple tree produces yummy fruit, you'll probably go and buy a grafted tree, which is essentially a clone of the parent tree. Now beech plums, on the other hand, are a little bit different. And according to my guest today, you'll have a decent chance of success in growing yummy beech plums on seedling trees. My guest today is Ken Asmus from Oikos Tree Crops in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we're going to talk about why he thinks we should plant beech plums, where we should plant them, and how to breed them successfully from seed. But before we start chatting, I would love to hear your stories and questions during the show. Do you grow beech plums or other types of plums? Have you tasted these yummy plums that grow in the wild in parts of North America? You can email your questions and comments and stories to instudio101 at gmail.com. 
And remember to include your first name and the city that you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. So now on the line is Ken Asmus of Oikos Tree Crops. And Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. I'm so glad you're here. So so tell me a little bit about beach plums. Now, um, most fruit trees, I understand, are not native to North America, but beach plums are. Where would you find them in the wild in North America? Well, they're, they actually inhabit kind of a narrow band along the eastern seacoast of the United States of North America, and that's about it. It, it prefers a very sandy, open environment and very low organic type soils you know and that's about it it's very narrow bandwidth i guess you could say so that's when you're when when you're finding wild uh beach plums but but can they be grown in other parts of uh of north america right they they can and the thing was that it's it's a fairly adaptable plant uh it can grow in different types of soils but it is it is a type of plant that prefers this open, sunny habitat and also um, probably even benefits from the moisture coming from the ocean, the salty air, and other related things related to pollination and also maybe even climate as far as being prefers a more cooler climate than a warmer climate. So I know that obviously here um, in Canada and in the United States, there's lots of plum trees that you can grow, more conventional varieties, maybe Japanese plums, European plums. So how are beach plums different? I mean, wh- where's the advantage there? Well, the traditionally, beach plums were used to make jam or jelly or drinks. And it's because it's a more tart plum, it doesn't really... It never really caught on as a plum that you would consume fresh. So it, it kind of lends itself to processing. And that's where it really has been for hundreds of years. Uh, people still collect it uh, as a wild species plum. Just like in other parts of the world, they, there might be like Mirabelle plums in France that are collected wild that make, they make a specific jam or jelly or a drink from. Or maybe in the south, they would collect and grow Chickasaw plums. Uh, you know, in other parts out west, it would be another species of plum. So plums are kind of universal in that respect. The, the beach plum happens to be unique in that it's, it's a um, kind of a shrub species and is just one of the most productive and diverse seedling groups that I've ever grown. So that makes it kind of unique in that way. Okay, so just to clarify, you're saying it is a tart plum. You will never get a sweet beach plum that you can just pluck off the plant and enjoy the deliciousness? <laughs> well, there there are some, and that is a very subjective term, what is sweet and what isn't. But there are some that have a skin on them that isn't astringent, that is more sweeter and can be consumed fresh. And some people enjoy them that way. But most beach plums have some astringency or um, in the skin itself. And so that's part of the flavor profile of the beach plums. And you, you can find individual plants with less astringency or bitterness. Um, but generally that is because you're cooking it and adding sugar, that is less of a concern. 
Um, it's interesting. I can hear people shouting out of our listeners, well, what's in it for me? You know, like, yeah, I like sweet plums. I don't know. Why should I plant this plant? Well, Is, you know. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> maybe but, I should. <laughs> but the, the idea that um, it, because of this unique uh, flavor profile with the beach plum, it, it is unlike any other plum. So it isn't like the, the usually bland dancing plums or the very sweet um, the Japanese plums that you buy at the store. So it is unique in that respect. But with the, I've been making this, this many thousands of jars of this jam over the years and giving them away to friends and relatives and at, at uh, farming shows that I was at. And it's universal that everyone likes the flavor of that. So it's not, you know, so there is a, it ends a certain segment of people that would enjoy consuming it. Mm-hmm. That way. So. I think the other thing that from what I read, and, and I have not grown one myself yet, though that may change at some All point. Right, um, so I understand they're a view, very beautiful plant with beautiful, fragrant white flowers. It's a shrub, mm-hmm. you know, so for people who don't have room for a big tree, that's a beautiful plant yes. to grow. Now, ease, uh, you know, I have grown plum trees in our community orchard here in Toronto out of the three we originally planted, three different uh, cultivars, one is left. And that's yeah. because of black knot, you know, oh, diseases. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, where does where do beach plums stand in terms of pest and disease issues? Well, that's, that's a good question. They, they don't seem to suffer. Well, they, they, there's no black knot with beach plums, at least in the history that I've been growing them. There's never been black knot. And I do have black knot uh, issues with some of my species plums that I have here. But that it's very immune to that. But it may have some issues with in wet years with rot forming on the fruit as they develop. But it's very rare, but it does happen. And maybe some mildew on leaves in some years when there's a lot of moisture uh, in the air throughout the summer. Hmm. Um, but that's, that's about it. There's no insect damage to the fruit itself. Um, very minor. Uh, the palm cuculeo, which is a big problem, of course, um, when it tries to infest the beach plum, the skin is so tough and it has this clear uh, uh, chemical almost that seems to come out and envelop the uh, the egg or the larva trying to enter that it nothing really gets into the fruit. So the fruit is very clean and very easy to grow in that respect. That is so, a big bonus. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, because plum trees are short-lived. Mm. I mean, that's that's one thing. I've, I, too, have discovered this because I've tried to grow other plum trees. And, they, you know, there's so many things that seem to want to consume the tree as well as the fruit. And, and they, you know, 10 years into it, and that's about it, you know. Mm. We have an email from Russ in Massachusetts, and he, he says here, how long does it take in years from planting a beach plum pit to when the shrub is big enough to produce fruit? That's a good question. It is. There, in general, the, the plants will, when I first started doing beach plums from seedlings, I was buying them from a company in New Jersey that had one-year seedlings, and I planted the one-year seedlings, and they began to flower and fruit two years later. So it was a very short period of time. And I think between two and four years of age, the tree should by then begin to be flowering and fruiting. 
uh, for most seedling trees. From from actual pit, it may be more like three to five years. Hmm. Now, in the beginning of the show, I was talking a little bit about, you know, grafted cultivars. And we know that, you know, most of our apple trees and our pear trees and conventional plum trees, they're they're grafted and they're wonderful cultivars. We want to rely on the taste of the fruit. Are there, with beech plums, grafted cultivars that that are out there? That, that, that is true, and that's another uh, great history of the beech plum, because it goes back to Luther Burbank, who actually created varieties, and other people have since created varieties of beech plums, and they have found certain ones with certain things, attributes that they liked, and they would graft them or, or root them in some way, bring them into an orchard, and then they would fail. They would not produce much fruit, or it became uh, a type of thing where there would be fruit one year and none the next, and they couldn't understand this. And this has been repeated a number of times. The The idea of selecting a cultivar is a good idea initially, but with beech plum, it's not, that, it's not the nature of it to be separated from its brothers and sisters, <laughs> evidently, so there has to be, it could possibly work out if it was multi-clonal type of thing where you had many selections, but the seedlings themselves are fine growing them as seedlings. Hmm. Um, but separating them out, every time someone has attempted this, it has essentially failed. So and are you saying that there are no, uh, the, there are no cultivars available? There, there are still a few. Um, I don't. I think I've seen a couple listed uh, recently, but it's very rare, if if not impossible to get. We, I started to graft some of them, and what I found was because the beech plum plant is a type of plant where it produces profusely for about ten years of age, then that main stem will die, hmm. and then a new sprout will come up from the base. So the root system will continue to produce fruit. So if you had a grafted tree, what would happen is the graft would die eventually after so many years, and then a new sprout would come up, but that wouldn't be the original graft. So that would be the one thing that we are looking into is possibly rooting. But for now, because of the pollination issue, to say that you you offer um, grafted peach plums would almost, you know, you'd be selling them, but then people would plant them, and they go, why aren't they... Fruiting, you know, because you would have to have this combination worked out at some point to be sure that you're getting fruit from the plants that you're growing, whether they're graft, uh, especially if they're grafted. Well, I, that is so interesting because, yes, we're talking about um, a plant that comes in shrub floor form. And when we talk about apple trees, you've got your one trunk. That's where the graft right. is low down. Right. Yeah. The branches come off the trunk. This is a totally different oh, animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a completely different animal, and yeah. that was probably why some of the original researchers didn't really think of it like that. They just, they thought of it like an apple. Hmm. So. <laughs> well, and 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 on the other hand, we have things like raspberries, where you can just cut a chunk out, and there you've just uh, propagated your your raspberry bush. So can't you do the same? You know, cut out some of the suckers of your yummy beach plum, and then you have your absolute identical variety. Can you divide can it like you, that? You can. The plant normally doesn't sucker. Um, of all the different strains we've grown here, there's one that we have that produces a suckering form. It actually was from a group that someone had sent us seeds from an island off the east coast of uh, 
I think it was North Carolina. And those, for some reason, it's a type of strain that does produce runners. But normally beach plums produce very few, if any, runners per se. Hmm. Um, but other people have discovered ways of just taking rooted cuttings and growing them. And there's one nursery in particular that's kind of helping us with this. But at the same time, I don't want to be the person responsible for its demise <laughs> because so many people have done it before me that the same thing happens over and over oh, again. So uh, at, for now, I've been growing these seedlings from these little communities that I have here, and those have, those have worked out. People have been very positive about those. So. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about those communities. A lot of questions came in earlier before sure. the show about that. I've got an interesting question from Brad. He's from Miami, Miami Florida. So Brad says, hello, I am a wine enthusiast. I heard that some growers have made wine from beach plums. Is that true? Yes. Um, We've had requests for fruit. Uh, In fact, someone had bought uh, quite a bit of fruit from us one year. We shipped it, and they were uh, experimenting with wine. And you could easily make a a good wine from that. I don't know much about the wine. the winemaking industry, and if anyone along the East Coast has has done that, but um, you I could, I could see where you could, it could easily make a, uh, um, you could easily make wine with it. Well, but also for Brad, it's interesting because there was a lot of discussion on fa- on the Facebook page earlier, and so I had a, a message from Eliza from Maryland, and Eliza said about beach plums. I've got a hundred of them this year, just planted them. We'll see how they will do. They are seedlings. I will be fermenting them if they work out. I got them from Maryland State University. And I actually heard from a number of other people who are turning it into wine. So Brad says, very interesting. Thank you. So yeah, Brad, it seems like people are doing it. How the wine tastes, if there's any listeners who have made this wine, I would love to hear from you guys, you know. That would be very, very interesting. Now, also, so we were talking about, um, let's talk a little bit about pollination. So you've got this seedling plant um, that you planted from a seed or a pit from one of the, the, the plums. Right. So is it self-pollinating or do you need to have two or three plants in order to get fruit on your plant? I, I think it's not self-pollinating most of the time. I, I really don't know what the percentages are. But I've read studies on beach plums pollination, and what they discovered, it, it might be partly related to how there's isolation in these communities of beach plums along the shoreline. And they've even found male and female plants of beach plum, hmm. which is very unusual. And it may show that, that over time, because of the restriction in pollination, it creates these unusual pollination issues. And the only other plant that I know that is like this is the oak tree. Oak trees uh, often will accept pollen from neighboring trees and create a certain amount of acorns, but they'll also accept pollen from more genetically diverse plants, Hmm. which will then increase the fruit set even more. And I've often thought that the beech plum is like that in that you have this cross-pollination between two uh, individually individual plants and that might be sufficient but if there's other uh, beach plums nearby and there's added bonus of more pollen of different types that will increase the fruit set and 
So normally people, when they plant our plants, they plant two of them. And for now, it appears sufficient. I rarely will someone say, I don't have fruit set. Um, but, but the pollination thing is just you really do need some cross-pollination, I believe, to achieve fruit set. Well, I, I think what's funny, what you're saying, it's kind of crazy because like any other plant, if you have an, uh, a cross-pollinating apple tree and you plant it beside the, a pear tree, they're not going to cross-pollinate with each no. other. It just doesn't happen. But what you're saying is that to an extent it does with these crazy little beach plums. They're, they're, <laughs> they're prolific little guys, yes. So they, they want this genetically diverse pollen coming and, you know, covering the flowers and usually they flower at the same time, and they have a long pollination period. So there's many insects that you'll see on them, and it's also the last prunus species to flower. So for missing frost and everything, it's very good. So you're looking at around May 15th or so here in southwestern Michigan, and um, so that's, that helps too. Hmm. Here's a question from Dan, who lives in Minnesota. A really good question. Are these resistant to the dreaded plum curculio? Yes. Um, as far as I'm aware, we've never had that issue here, and none of my other customers have ever said, boy, you know, I've had problems with that insect. Um, I noticed there was um, someone that had mentioned problems with it at a planting uh, in Michigan here where they had a lot of other plum species and they said the curculios were very bad. It kind of stunted the fruit. But I've never seen plum curculio. I know I have it here, but it's never, the populations have never built up to the point where it's affected the fruit ever. Hmm. And I never find the uh, fruit destroyed by it. So, hmm. Well, that's good news. Um, yeah. Now here, this is interesting. So we've got Pete from Alabama says he grows chicksaw seeds, chicksaw seeds. And he says, I made wild wild plum wine this past year. Um, they grow wild here a lot, um, but with his plants, finding them uh, to regularly fruit is harder. So he harvests wild plums with a friend to make this wine. So how are chicksaws different or similar? Well, that's a that's a plant that's a um, a small tree uh, plum that is even more tart than the beach plum. Hmm. It's almost you can barely get those down uh feeding them fresh uh it's just extremely tart it's even uh, almost like a um like a tart cherry in flavor and color and it it's uh, really that is an excellent plum tree uh the yields are always very high here of the chickasaw plums we have plantings of those and they're very um easy to harvest the, the other part of it um, with these plums is there's usually colonies of those as well as like beach plum. And so having individual, more than one plant would be a benefit for fruiting. Hmm. Yeah, and we have an email here from Emma. So Emma is in Erie, Pennsylvania. So she says, this is a really good question. Do the plants have to be native to your region? So, you know, when you're ordering your seeds or your plants, should you consider that? What, what is it that she wanted? She like, wants to know if the plants need to be native to your region. So let's say she lives in Erie, Pennsylvania. Maybe there are no native beach plums there, I wouldn't think. But, no. you know, so so in other words, is it okay to take, uh, you know, a beach plum that would do better on the East Coast and plant it in her backyard? 
Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, there's a certain range of adaptability with these plants, and that's one of the hallmarks of cultivation, is that you can take a plant that has a rather limited uh, range in terms of the climate and soil and move it somewhere else, and it'll still be productive. And so, you know, I've had requests for seeds of these from all over the world in places that there, there's nothing would grow. And they, so they were trying to find uh, some sort of fruiting plant that would grow in pure sand. And so you wonder, okay, if it's going to grow in pure sand, can it grow in clay or something else? And the beach plum seems to be fairly adaptable in that respect. So moving it from the beach to Erie, Pennsylvania would be fine. The, the plant could grow easily grow there, I'm sure. Okay, Emma, I hope that answered your question. (laughs) So, Ken, let's take a few minutes and listen to some words from our sponsors. And after that, we're going to talk in more detail about you learn, how you learn to propagate beach plums, how you got involved with them. We're going to talk about beach plum communities. So are you okay holding on the line for a minute? Sure. Great. Okay, well, folks, you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com, and we'll be back after this short break. Did you know that one of the best ways to ensure organic fruit tree growing success is to order the right tree for your unique conditions? You'll get the widest selection of cultivars from a specialist fruit tree nursery, where you can find heirloom trees, disease-resistant varieties, and more. To download a free list of fruit tree nurseries in Canada and the United States, go to orchardpeople.com slash buy fruit trees. That's B-U-Y dash fruit dash trees. Enjoy the list and your new fruit tree and learn more about how to care for your tree by signing up for my free monthly newsletter at orchardpeople.com. Looking for a quick Easy to apply and all natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer, and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children, and pets. You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-sol.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer.
Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now, instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. In today's program, I'm chatting with Ken Asmus from Oikos Tree Crops about growing beech plums in our gardens and orchards. Now, in the first part of the show, we learned why this plant might be appealing to plant. It's beautiful white flowers, it's easy to grow, and it has yummy fruit that you can use for jams and pies. Now, you can, it seems, buy some beach plum cultivars or clones, or you can plant your beach plums from seed. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But before we delve back into the topic, I would love to hear your questions and comments from my studio guest. So send an email to instudio101 at gmail.com with your question. And remember to mention your first name and location, instudio101 at gmail.com. So Ken, I would love to talk to you a little bit about your story. How is it that you started to develop Beach Plum communities? Um, and uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. The, um, the original introduction of the plant to me was really by accident, um, <laughs> like all great discoveries, I guess. But, but basically, I was, I was reading a catalog, a wholesale company in New Jersey that had them for sale, and I bought those and had planted a row of 100 of them. And when they started to fruit, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. These things are all different colors and flavors. And I took a whole bunch back home with me and made jam and jelly out of them. And they were just so delicious. I thought, I need to know more about this plant. And so I began to kind of experiment with them a little bit, just on a small scale, and began growing the plant from seed um, numerous times and reproducing everything from seed just to see what the effects would be. And what did you discover? Because we were saying in the beginning of the show with apple trees, especially if you want to eat the fruit fresh, your chances of getting a yummy apple um, are not huge if you plant that apple from seed. So yes. why are beach plums different if they are different? Well, the, the thing was that um, at kind of at the same time I was doing this, I was going to these different horticulture shows, and I saw uh, from the plant scientists that I saw just talking about breeding plants that you would have seven or eight characteristics of something that you want to breed. And it was very, very specific and long-term. And I thought, well, and then you would end up throwing out all the other plants and keeping one or two out of many thousands. And I thought, well, that's, that seems wasteful. <laughs> but I understand why they did that. But then I thought, well, can, can you use the whole population of a plant for growing fruit uh, rather than cultivars, rather than a single individual. And what I found was that the beech plum by itself really didn't need improving. Um, I didn't really have to make selections per se, but I did have to kind of 
guide certain things, traits that I wanted. But they weren't very long. It wasn't seven traits. It was maybe only one. Like one being they have to be productive. They have to be fruitful on their own and not really have a lot of insect or disease problems. And the beach plum fit into that. So as I grew more seedlings, of course, I got picky, and I wanted to say, like, oh, I'd love to have all yellow-fruited plants. But when I went into that avenue, I found there was less um, likely to occur to find all yellow-fruited plants from a seedling population. And I did find one eventually, but I found that with all yellow plants also suffered from other issues. Hmm. So, you know, I would discontinue that and then go back to some other type of fruiting characteristic um, from seed. So I try to reproduce it from seed if I could. So just to clarify, so there you are, you have 100 or 200 plants, and you're trying to filter out the crummy ones. So if it's not producing fruit, you pull it out, right? If it's, um, you know, when you did your little experiment to say, hey, I only want yellow beech plums, what did you do? Take all the yellow beech plum plants and put them in a part of your yard garden somewhere yeah. that they would not cross-pollinate with anything else, I guess. Right. And, yes, that's exactly what I did. And then the first uh, seedling, yellow one, I go, oh, this is so cool. I got all these yellow. And then when they fruited, there was only one yellow in wow. the, out of over 100. And, in fact, it was worse odds than when I started. Oh, my goodness. And, and so I was like, well, that's no good. And then I found a uh, another yellow form um, later that uh, 100% of them came out yellow. So I realized there was this huge, you know, reservoir of genetic diversity, and more or less to accept it, the yellow-fruited ones were also very bland. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't have quite the punch that the dark black ones or the red ones had and so i realized that if i made like yellow jam or yellow uh forms of uh, jelly out of it it was pretty pretty bland <laughs> you know it didn't have that same flavor profile but they were good fresh they were a good fresh uh fruit so hmm, fascinating yeah so we had a few like okay so essentially you start talking about plant communities what to you is a plant community. So if you're selling your seeds, you're saying, look, guys, it comes from one of my developed plant communities. What does that mean? Well, it, it, it means that, like, in particular, I would find a group of plants that the main goal was just uh, production-wise, as far as being fruitful on a yearly basis, as well as um, just having kind of a robust growth habit. There was one strain that I found that um, a whole many of the seedlings fruited in their second year from seed, and those were five plants that I discovered in a group of a, a seed bed that was several thousand seedlings, and I moved those five plants to another location in the nursery, and when those fruited, I created a second and third and a fourth generation from those, and then I kept getting seeds from those. So that is what I'm selling in the Nana beech plum, the idea is that these are genetically dwarfer, which they are. They reproduce uh, fairly true from seed, which they do, and they also have this d- diverse fruit set. But in the nanas section, when I tried to go smaller, even smaller, what I found was then they would be weak and die early. So there's a portion, it's almost like when you look at people who have certain dog breeds, you know, there's 
there's an issue when you <laughs> when you go to a certain point in trying to make something small. Hmm. Um, and then the the other part of it was just to find uh, more or less vigorous forms that grew quickly early on and would set um, uh, fruit quicker. And so then that became an issue. But there wasn't too much of a problem with uh, the usual on again and off again part, but there were some plants that were less productive. And then there were hybrid plants as well mm-hmm. that I ran into issues with. So initially I was just excited that I had the hybrid and then later I refined it a little bit more. So maybe some of them are freestone or the fruit is more of an inch in size rather than a half inch in size, which is more most beach forms. And I tried to create separate strains related to that. Okay. Well, yeah. I have uh, a few questions here. So here's a question from Lee from New York State. Well, it's more a comment, I suppose. He says... My main beef with beach plums generally is that they're very erratic in production for no apparent reason. So is do you have a comment on that or Well, yes. I I think that's true. Um I don't know where if he's got many of them or a group of them or if he's talking about wild plants or cultivated plants. But under cultivation, it's less of an issue. If it's single clones or grafted varieties, yes, then there's definitely that issue. And I think the, again, limiting having a greater diversity of the plums solves that problem. Hmm. Okay, we've got a question here. Okay, from Russ again, Massachusetts. Um, all right. He says, here in Massachusetts, where, where beach plums grow wild, uh-huh. I have gathered many f- fruits for eating out of hand to make jam or to use in different desserts like strudel. I save the pits for propagating into new bushes. So here's my question, he says. While most of the wild beach plum fruit I encounter are dark and purple, when ripe, occasionally I run into a yellow fruit. And he thinks it tastes as least, at least as good as the purple fruit. Yeah. So, yeah. So he says he saves the pits. Good. Um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, so he's asking the question that you have answered by, he says, I obviously won't know for some time whether the fruit produced from the bushes grown from the yellow fruited pits will be yellow as well. So that was the comment of, and you're saying, you know what, buddy, don't count on it. <laughs> Never know. Uh, but the, it's possible, it's very possible that he would get at least as many yellow ones as there is in the wild. But the, the other part of it is germinating the seed is quite easy. Do you want me to discuss that? Yeah, or? well, he also says here, you know, and this is related. He, I think he's reading your mind. He says, um, he's attempting to propagate beech plums from seed in his nursery, but he's sure. wondering, would it be possible to get beech plums to grow merely by placing the pits, burying them a quarter of an inch below the soil surface in right. the locations where he wants the bushes to grow? Does that work? Is it that easy? No, that that is a very good way to do it. There, Of course, there's some animals that might dig those up and eat them, but generally the pits are very easy to germinate. They'll just need a normal cold dormancy, so you'd either plant them in the fall, and they would come up the following spring on their own. A quarter inch deep is fine. Um, you you may find a portion of the seeds, and rarely all, all the seeds will have to go through a second dormancy. 
but normally a one-year dormancy, which would be just cold, and then they would sprout in the spring. They come up rather late. Um, if you have seed that you're trying to really nurture and you do it inside, you would do the same. You would refrigerate the seed for 90 to 120 days at 38 degrees Fahrenheit and then pull them out of the fridge, and they should should crack open, and you can plant them in pots that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then there's some portions of the seed on beach plums, which is a very good survival thing in that it will require an additional warm period. So it will go through the summer and then the fall, and then it would be another winter would come by and go, and then it would sprout the second season. So, yeah, very interesting. Now we have another email from George. I don't know where George is from. George says, are these plums good for making jelly or jam? Thanks. <laughs> yes, that, that's really the, the dominant use of the plant. And I'm sure people have experimented with other things with it, like wine, as we mentioned earlier. But the jam and jelly from it, you can use the sure gel recipe. I think it's for the plum, um, which is uh, eight cups of pulp and six cups of sugar. It's a little steep in the sugar department for the for it, but I, I it works. It, I mean, you get a lot of uh, for you know for that type of um, jam. It's quite dense, and really dark colored, very nice firm texture. Easy, it sets up. The pectin in the fruit is quite high. Um, it really is fantastic. Okay, well, let's take a moment, Ken. We're going to take a moment. I think your phone is ringing. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I hear it in the background. So I love running contests on the show, and today I have a really great free book. And I know you listeners are out there because you're sending in questions. So we've been talking about beach plums, which are native in parts of North America. So here in my hand, I have a beautiful book, and it's called Bringing Nature Home, How You Can Sustain Wildlife with Native Plants. This book is by Douglas Tallamy, and it's got really great color pictures It's got chapters on gardening for insect diversity, why we should care about biodiversity, and the vital role of native plants in the suburban garden. So, listeners out there, if you would like me to send you this copy of this wonderful book, then all you have to do is send an email to me at instudio101 at gmail.com and put in the title, Book Giveaway, or book, something like that. And tell me why you're interested in native plants. So email now because the third person to send in an email request will win a copy of this book. Instudio101 at gmail.com and put book giveaway in the title. We'll find out who's won after a few words from our sponsors. So Ken, are you okay staying on the line for a couple of minutes? Not a problem. Terrific. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. We'll be back in just a moment. My name is Mike McNair and I'm the manager of Universal Field Supplies. Universal Field Supplies specializes in products that are used by arborists 
they're professional quality tools that uh, guys that use them every day need to rely on. So they tend to be higher quality than what's found in big box stores. The Universal Field Supplies product could be used by anybody that has trees and likes to look after trees. We've all been to school for forestry or arboriculture and we have many years of experience. We would be happy to answer any questions people have and actually ask questions of them and find out exactly what their needs are and determine what product would suit them the best. Don't hesitate to call Here's How to Reach Us. Call 1-800-387-4940 or email at info at ufsupplies.com. See you soon. Universal Field Supplies has stores in Mississauga, Ontario and Port Coquitlam in British Columbia. Learn more at universalfieldsupplies.com. Hi, I'm Mark Cullen with some news about a wonderful lineup of garden supplies and garden tools that will absolutely knock your gardening socks off. They're called Mark's Choice, and they're exclusive to home hardware, 1,100 stores coast to coast to coast. Mark's Choice features great quality products that will not only last years, but in some cases will last a lifetime. Look for my various garden gloves, stainless steel garden tools, stainless steel digging tools, my new garden backhoe, and many, many others. As a matter of fact, there's over 160 different products in the Mark's Choice lineup. I'd love you to try them all. But start by sampling one that appeals to you. Drop by your local home hardware. Have a look at the Mark's Choice lineup of tools and garden supplies, including my line of garden soils, and decide for yourself. Great quality, lasting quality, and a great gardening experience. That's what I strive for with Mark's Choice. Look for it at home hardware. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. Send us an email right now in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host, Susan Poisner. I'm Susan Poisner, and you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show a program where we learn about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. So in today's program, we've been talking about beach plums, what they look like, how to grow them, how to propagate them from seed, and how to create a plant community that will thrive in your unique climate and conditions. On the line, I have Ken Asmus from Oikos Tree Crops from Kalamazoo, Michigan who's been developing beach plum communities for a long, long time. So, Ken, um, how long have you been working on this? <laughs> well, um, I actually, the first plantings that I did were in 19, was 80, 1980. Um, and so since then, I've, you know, continually have beach plums growing here and many generations of them in little, little plots all around the farm. So I'm sure you've had lots of different interesting experience with propagation. We've got another email from Russ, who's very passionate about this, clearly. So Russ tells a story. He says, 
Two years ago, while stratifying a bunch of beach plum pits in my fridge, some of them were precocious and sprouted in the dark in their plastic bags in the fridge. Those guys are tough. So this happened in February, so I had to sow them right away indoors, Mm -hmm. I guess in pots. He says many of these survived and are now in their, uh, this year, six-inch tall plants. That's tough. Does that, would that happen a lot where they sprout right in your fridge? Yes, because they're, the, a lot of the prunus species are like that, and a lot of the cherries, etc. When you try to grow them, they'll break dormancy quicker. Um, it, it may depend on, <clears throat> too, the, the, how old the seeds are or what they were treated like before um, they were put in the fridge. So sometimes that makes an influence. Will they still be a healthy plant, considering that they started in this kind of... Yes, I mean, that doesn't say anything really about the way the plant would be in its future life <laughs> as, a, as a plant, as a beach plum plant, no. Hmm, interesting. Now, now, when we were chatting earlier, Ken, you were talking about, you know, how passionate you are about this work, and you said, you know... Um, I'm not. I'm not going to do this forever. And why is it like? What What do you want your legacy to be? Well, the the one thing that I noticed when I started working with fruit trees was how. Um, I don't want to say. I'm trying to figure out a way to say it nicely, but it seemed rather like a club that I couldn't belong to, um, because it, the the idea of breeding or having fruit trees. It's either an orchard plant or it's just some seedling. And that, that seemed to bother me because I grew up in this, on this farm in Sag, near Saginaw, Michigan, where we had wild blueberry plants. And what a joy it was just to taste all the different wild blueberries. You know, some of them were more stronger, some of them were mild, some of them had big, some of them had small fruit. And I thought, well, couldn't you replicate that type of planting? But it wasn't. It wasn't an orchard. It was just a wild planting. And so there never seemed to be anything in between the orchard, what is considered an orchard, and what is considered wild. And so I wanted to create this in-between zone where plants were just essentially growing on their own, required minimal human intervention, and at the same time would be more fulfilling to grow. And I remember going to a fruit-growing show and I thought, we're doomed if these, these fruit growers are nothing. They seem very, they were elderly. They were complaining all the time about their money and how horrible it was to be a fruit grower. And I thought, my God, this is a disaster. <laughs> Who is going to be growing our fruit for mm-hmm. the future? And this it was in the early, early 80s, late, well, late 70s, early 80s when I was finishing up my degree. And I always thought it'd be a fantastic idea to be a fruit, uh, to be a fruit grower, an orchard grower. But when I realized how much it cost, and it seemed like all the suffering involved, the toxic elements of orchards themselves are not really healthy places to be in. And I worked for many of these orchards, and I realized that you know there has to be something that people could grow themselves that would be a joy and it would be fun to have. And so I just began looking for fruit trees like that and making them available to people, both as seeds and as plants. Hmm. And that, that's been a journey that I, I guess that's my legacy, is that I introduced people to fruits that they normally wouldn't have, they wouldn't taste. And so I like that. That, to me, is fun. 
So. That's a lovely <laughs> legacy. That is a lovely legacy. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. We got an email from Ike, and he says, can you grow them in Sacramento, California? Well, I don't know. The, the, it's possible. The beach plum is actually found fairly uh, far south in, its, in the range. And it, it's possible in Sacramento you have enough cold period or chill hours that would fulfill the dormancy of the plant. So I would say it's possible, but I don't really know for sure. Well, it's interesting because so much of what you have done is experimenting, right? Yeah. And, and I think I felt from you when I spoke to you earlier that that's what you want us to do, too. It's not just necessarily about right. us buying your seeds. That's right. So tell me what you feel about that. What, what do you want us to do? What do you want well, to inspire us to do? The, the thing about this plant is because it's been institutionalized numerous times to try to breed it, that hasn't worked. So I almost want it to be like a crowdsource breeding period where people can grow it themselves. And the thing would be, the thing that would be helpful for, to me would be is that people send me images of the fruits of the beach plum because that that's something people normally don't do. I mean, one one time a long time ago, I got a call from the Martha Stewart program, and they had put up some pictures of some beach plums that I'd sent to one of her homes, and she they planted and they it fruited. And I thought, well, isn't that marvelous that someone took the time to send me pictures? You know, so that's one thing is that I've not, I've all these years I've been doing it. I just get little dribbles of, oh yes, that worked, and that's about it. So, but I'd rather see the beach plum just in in the hands of individuals, not research scientists or people who have degrees in horticulture, but average people who just want to grow it for the enjoyment and attempt to have their own beach plum communities like I do. So. Well, that's lovely. And is there an email that people out there, whether they have your seeds or they've done it another way, where can they send those pictures to? And um, by the know, way... they could. The best thing would just be send them to my, to my personal email, um, which is connected to my business at kasmus, K-A-S-M-U-S. Maybe you can put this uh, on your back here at the end of the program or something. But it's kasmus at oikostreecrops.com. That's terrific. And also, folks, if you do have pictures, go to orchardpeople.com's Facebook page. So Google Orchard People Facebook. And we have a post that's related to this show. It'll say episode 21, uh, Beach Plums. We'd all love to see your pictures. So do remember to post those. Yeah, um, any yeah. Any wild plum pictures are is kind of of interest to me because it's almost like a universal thing that people uh, know where they are and collect them. They're almost like thimble berries or morel mushrooms in that way. Mm, lovely. Um, <laughs> now, do you think that there's any? But you know, I know a lot of our listeners. They they are in urban agriculture and they may want to sell these crops. Do you think? That beach plums could be a crop that could be a marketable crop for young people who want to grow them. I I think so. There's the there the limited amount of plant or you know fruit available on the east coast. It, it fluctuates a lot, and so that that in itself, the very high price that I got when I first was doing it was amazing. I was getting ten dollars a pound. This was twenty years ago. And they're just the people will pay for those. So someone growing it for selling, you know, for things, it, it seems like it would be profitable, especially along the East Coast. Now inland, 
or more of the central U.S., you know, you would present it to somebody and they go, what's that? So <laughs> that, and that creates an educational issue. But especially along the East Coast, I, I don't know why there isn't more plantings other than people are maybe, you know, it's difficult to grow fruit crops unless you, you know, you have some sort of um, maybe a financial backing of something that will keep it going for a while until, you know, the harvest comes in for it. Oh, absolutely. And also, you know, it's a new thing. Somebody's got to be the pioneer, so maybe one of the listeners out there will pioneer it and you know, sell so. the jam. Yeah. Wouldn't that yeah. be awesome? And especially since they are easier to care for. Yeah. Then you don't need all those toxic sprays and stuff. You don't, no. Well, no, you couldn't, wouldn't have to. Ken, are you curious at all who's won the book? Yes, who won the book? <laughs> I know you want to know. <laughs> okay, so let's see who's... Okay, well, first we'll go. We've got the winner, but Gary, we've got three emails. So first was Linda... So Linda was the first email. She says, native plants are ours to keep safe and to breed. Thank you, Linda. You were the first one. Let's see. Number two was Oscar. I'm interested in all plants, but native plants are easier to care for. Well, you're right. I think Oscar. And who's number three? Peter, you're number three. And Peter says, native plants are beautiful to look at, work with, and to care for. So, Peter, I would love it if you could email us back your address. And I think Gary in the studio will actually email you as well. And we'll get your address. We're going to send you this really nice book. So I'm so glad you guys all emailed in. I wish I had a copy to send everybody, but Peter gets it as number three. So, wow, I am so glad, Ken, that you came on the show to talk with me today about beach plums because, you know, I've learned so much and I'm really curious to to grow a couple of plants in our community orchard but i don't know right. we'll see if we can find some space for them yeah, <laughs> size wise how tall would they be uh you know maybe about six foot six foot maybe eight at the very most six foot is six average. or eight feet and how wide do you think they'd spread um, equal equal width the height generally. yeah equal width yeah. so like six to eight Sure. feet wide as well uh -huh. oh by the way peter email just back to say thank you i think he's excited to get his new book <laughs> yay good um so i am so glad that you came on the show today and well, i thank hope you for having me yeah sure. i hope to hear more from you in the future there's so much we could have talked about but hopefully another time oh okay well maybe we can do that okay well you take care and thanks again thank you for having have me a good, bye -bye. have a good day bye-bye Okay, so folks, if you want to post your pictures, I'll also put some more information, maybe contact details for Ken. Um, you, one of the places you can go is to Orchard People's Facebook page. Search for the post that starts with episode 21, Beach Plums, and do put up your pictures, wild beach plums or the ones you grow at home. Okay, that was Ken Asmus of Oikos Tree Crops in Kalamazoo, Michigan. The Urban Forestry Radio Show is just about over for this month. I really hope you enjoyed the show. I have so much more to share with you on my website at orchardpeople.com, including blogs and videos and online fruit tree care training courses for arborists, gardeners, and home growers. So if you like this show, there's lots more great episodes in my show archive, which you can find at orchardpeople.com slash podcasts. And on that page, you'll be able to listen back to this show or listen to any other archive shows that I have on there, and they're very, there are lots at this point. They all cover fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. So 
thank you so much for tuning in today. It was lovely to have you on the sh- with me and participating and asking questions. So hopefully you'll come back next month. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to seeing you next month. listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.